Welcome to the Wonders of Thetis podcast, your one-stop shop for all your Dragon Age role-playing game needs. My name is Ren. And I'm Jessica. Welcome to episode 50 of the Wonders of Thetis podcast. Woo! Made it two whole years of podcasting. Talking talking about uh, the Dragon Age role-playing game. And you nerds seem to enjoy it, so I guess we'll keep doing it. Yeah, thank you for your support so far. It means yeah. a lot to have people, knowing the people uh, download us every week, every, you know, episode and mm-hmm. want to hear really what cool. we have to say. We're almost to, uh, my SoundCloud stats today, we're almost to 16,000 plays. Whoa. Like 16,000 times someone has pushed play on one of our episodes. That, that That's that's what we're, we're that's counting. That's pretty hardcore. That's, that's pretty, pretty good. cool. I'm glad you folks, and I hope you folks enjoy it. Mm-hmm. We got some... Really cool things that we want to do, and mm-hmm. some Definitely. really cool things that we want to uh, make happen. So Definitely. We got some plans. Here's hoping for some expansion on our part. That'd and, be pretty cool. Uh, continued uh, support from you guys. We'll enter that Wonders of Thetis DLC cycle. Yeah. <clears throat> but we'll wait really late into the cycle before we uh, uh, give the DLC that lets you change what your character looks like. <laughs> <clears throat> Ouch. Anyway. Shots fired. <laughs> anyway, uh, we of course had a poll, uh, because we started uh, trying to get ahead of schedule, we started three polls. So there's a couple polls that are still ongoing right now, if you'd like to go take a look go at vote, them. Go vote, go vote. One of them's got another week, another one's got, the next one's got another two weeks before it goes through. So, uh, if you'd like to go let us know what you'd like to hear about, we've got some good ones. We've got another specialty episode, and we're doing another background episode about commoners. Feel free to check it out. But this time, we were doing a specialty topic, visiting a couple of old ones, putting out some new ones, uh, and all of them I'm really excited to talk about. Uh, Today, we will be talking about the spell expertise talent. This one won by a single vote. Close call. And we had some very close runner-ups. Very close. Ooh, wow, actually, yeah, it's 15, 14, 13, so mm-hmm. that's that's pretty noticeable. That's a pretty close call. Yeah, we had they're really dang close. So, we'll be talking about the one of the more unique and wide-spanning talents in Dragon Age. Uh, so, we'll just get right into it. But first, let us go ahead and consult that codex. You can ask me questions if you like. I'm not sure why you'd want to, but... Oh, good... Thank you. I'm going to regret this, aren't I? Welcome to the Codex. we got a lot to talk about today, so let's waste no time. From, oh goodness, I'm so sorry. Toby Le Lemurien, or Lemurien, maybe? Cool name. Through our Facebook. Uh, asks uh, several questions. We're going to try and uh, do it nice and quick. It's going to be truncated a little bit, but I hope you'll bear with us. Uh, I also posted this under the uh, Fantasy Age Facebook page, but I definitely would like your input on this. I just listened to the Orlesian Exile podcast, and it sounds like a lot of what I would like to write. So my question's to you and yours. How would you write a political campaign story arc? It's a bit of a big question. That is a big old question. And honestly, I would be down for taking a whole episode to talk about, like, how to do intrigue in Thetis. Oh, yeah. To do, like, a whole, or even a whole episode on how to write intrigue. Oh, yeah. 
Totally. That would be. Yeah. Uh-huh. So hang well, tight. How, That'll <laughs> probably be something that we do. But we yeah. should give you at least a few answers that you could use right away. Yes. So uh, you added a couple of follow-up questions, and we'll go through those, like where to start. And actually, um, I decided to go with uh, a bit of advice that I got from an old Star Wars Saga Edition book. I really liked this advice because mm. it was the Galaxy of Intrigue book. Start with a secret. Mm. I really like that. Just like... Maybe this person is a blood mage and is using blood magic in the Orlesian court to adjust people's thoughts about him, or maybe even straight up control people into doing what he wants, or to get rid of them. Uh, start with something yeah. small that can change the course of history if it is not contained or properly harnessed. Know what's going to happen if the players don't step in, and then work from there. Make sure it's not good. Make sure it's not good. Um, I mean, unless they're good guys, and then... Right. Or unless they're bad guys, and then make sure that it's, you know, something they don't... Either way, make it so it's something they don't want to yeah. happen. Yeah, please. And then uh, next we've got where to... Let's say where to read. What to read. Um, assuming you're looking for, like, inspiration. And we've got a couple of suggestions. Uh, definitely play Leliana Song, the old DLC for Dragon Age Origins, if you can. Mm-hmm. It's... I mean, you're... Well, she's still, you know, playing the game at that point, so... There's it's all intrigue. It's all intrigue, definitely. Um, play Dragon Age Inquisition and do the Wicked Eyes and Wicked Hearts quest. That one's that one drips intrigue. Is that the one where you? That's the one where you go to the Winter Palace. Yeah. That's a fun one. It's got Ooh. a lot of layers to it, like uh, loitering around to listen to secrets to bring to Liliana, or finding uh, it's uh, finding Kepper's Kep- coins to throw into the thing, which I think I'm pretty sure that just gives you extra court approval. Um, which I mean, you know, that gets you some in gets you some influence. Uh, finding the little wooden hollow statues isn't quite so much, but you know, sneaking around in people's stuff, finding weird magical treasures inside the Winter Palace, maybe uncovering a strange ritual or uh, or a romantic tryst behind closed doors that they don't want you to tell anyone about. Gas, gas, stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, and of course, the low-level adventure in the core rulebook, Invisible Chains, takes place in Orlais and involves not only the drug trade, uh, the Illyrium trade, which is referred to as the Indigo Road, mm-hmm. uh, but go, have you go to a party. Go to a Legion party and maybe stop a fight in the basement, you know. I mean, That's stuff fun. you gotta do. Yeah. Uh, how to build. A bit of a broad question, but um, pay special attention to the communication stat, because in an intrigue game, communication and perception are going to be uh, incredibly important. Cunning to a lesser extent, but definitely. And dexterity if you're looking to, you know, do some ledger Mm -hmm. domain. Maybe willpower. I guess it could help you sometimes. I mean, everything's useful at some right. point. But to some degree, everything's useful. I'd say those first useful. few are the ones that are really mm-hmm. necessary. Those are the things that are going to make wheels turn when you're in Orlais or in the, or even like among the Altus into Vinter, or maybe you know brokering uh, trade between the merchant princes of Antiva. Lots of stuff, and I guess to a lesser extent, Ferelden. It kind of has. Intrigue. I feel like Ferelden's a little it's, bit less. It's a bit more predisposed to that, <laughs> and a bit more predisposed to. It's a bit blunt. We have dogs. I don't like your face. I don't like, like your face. That's Ferelden intrigue. That's why Ferelden's just easier to get along with. I feel like feel, they tell you what they think. <laughs> feel strong connection. All right. Um, advanced tests are great for building tension, especially if the PCs have timers. Like you only have one night to impress the Duchess and gain her support. You only have one distracting duel to slip incriminating evidence into someone's belongings. You know stuff like that. 
It can make, um, even if it's not a combat encounter, you can still, if you put a timer on advanced tests, it can still be very exciting. Mm-hmm. I would say the combination of timer and the need for secrecy mm-hmm. is the real sort of, the way you apply those two sets of pressure is what makes an intrigue game mm-hmm. suspenseful. Yes. Because it's going to have to be both. If you could just get out there and, you know, shove it in everybody's faces, you wouldn't be really doing an intrigue kind of no, game. No, that's not an intrigue game. And if you could do it in any amount of time, then the lack of rush means that there's really not that big a deal going on. So mm-hmm. Now, if you're doing like an overtly political game, uh, then to a lesser extent... You are kind of shoving it in folks' faces. It's going out and do, I guess like going out and doing big campaigns just to watch, like lobby just for watch something. Your back and you're about Although to go to bed. in a lot of in a lot of campaign settings in Dragon Age, especially where there is a lot of intrigue, there's not a lot of democratic process. So there's not a lot of like campaigning for votes. Well, given that you know there are rulers to these places mm-hmm. that are autocratic, yep. democracy is not going to be a big yeah. concern. Or major uh, major Or Majocracy. Mm. It's, I mean, it's a majocracy. Yeah. Mages run it. Megocracy? I don't Megocracy? know if you changed the G in that. I don't know. Anyway, uh, def- I remember actually when we did the Tevinter campaign, it was a little bit of intrigue. We had a lot of advanced tests going on. The other one. We had, yeah, it was like two weeks, and I've got like eight advanced tests. Which ones do you want to roll on? That oh, one. Man. That was pretty cool. I liked that. Uh, and at the end of two weeks, when they were finally ready to have the summit and go on a parade that definitely went perfectly fine and no one Nothing got attacked. Nothing bad happened. No one tried to be kidnapped. No one took their eyes off the prize. No one took their eyes off the prize. Um, but yeah, uh, you'll definitely have to, uh, let's see, oh, and of course, how to keep the players involved and interested. We've kind of been going over that a little, uh, for a little bit, but we can add a little mm-hmm. more. Uh, don't tarry too long on minutia. Mm-hmm. Although you can say that in most campaigns, really. yeah. But it's just good to think. Keep good things to think flowing. About. Uh, have a few, few paths in mind that the story can take. You know, if the players happen to think of something off the wall, because they will. Mm-hmm. Especially with an intrigue campaign, it can be, uh, it can be more structured, but it can also be less structured. So you'll want to be uh, have a general idea of how things will play out if the PCs pick maybe like two or three options. Um, make it very clear that some decisions will affect the future. It's a very Dragon Age thing to do. Uh, maybe you get a few situations where the heroes have to make a devil's choice and potentially get the chance for a third option, like mm-hmm. we like to do in our campaigns. Yeah. Or have the PCs uh, presented with two options they don't like uh, that are easy, but maybe then have them decide to go for a, uh, what is it, a third option that's difficult but makes everybody happy but has a greater chance of failure than mm-hmm. one of the two easy options. And perhaps even failure ends up being worse than mm-hmm. failure would have been from just one angle. Mm-hmm. Uh, rely on roleplay and exploration encounters. Those are going to be very big in political intrigue campaigns. Oh, yes. Big times. Got to go look for evidence. Got to plant evidence. Got to talk to people. You got to be on that floor. You got to uh, be sneaking around looking for folks. Got to be sneaking around to stay away from folks. Mm-hmm. But you will need to put in a combat or two every now yeah. and again. It's it's just a it's good kind time, of you know. Especially if the players get a little slow, a little combat, especially some nasty, quick combat with lots of assassins and bl- and daggers and uh, oh, you and gotta lots have of po- assassins and poisons and traps and that can that can light a fire on them. You get them moving. Right. Uh, and your last question, I, I get, thank you. You're welcome. Yeah. Hope that answered some of your hope, questions about yeah, this. Hope that helps.
Maybe we'll get a chance to go into more depth about this stuff mm-hmm. uh, in a later episode, but yes. this should tide you over for now. Mm-hmm. Uh, from Emilio Figueroa, uh, who I believe goes by Icarus. Am I crazy? I don't know. Uh, well, uh, let's see. Well, Emilio, through our Facebook, asks... My brother is planning a campaign, and one of the things that he is planning is two specializations. One is based on summoning spirits and demons, and the second is about using and manipulating emotions. And, uh, as it has been said in the scene in the game, mages have been able to summon spirits and demons before and use them as mooks, but it's never shown how they do it. So I'm wondering if it could be done in the game, and how a specialization would work based on summoning. While the other is based on manipulating emotions, it has been kind of shown in the second game, but besides that it was blood magic. How, besides that it was blood magic, how would emotion manipulation be done and how could it be made a specialization? Note the idea is that it can also be used to manipulate the pain in persons, as in both physical and emotional pain. My brother's idea. Mm. And um, as I looked at it, I wasn't entirely convinced that both of these were really juicy enough for an entire specialization. Maybe the summoning one could be made into a full specialization. I thought the manipulating emotions one could fit into a single spell. Mm-hmm. Um, but my suggestion was going to be steal from Blue Rose. Blue Rose has some great stuff when it comes mm-hmm. to uh, emotions and the like. Oh, yeah. It's, it's a romantic role-playing game. Emotions are very important to that game. How people, How the characters feel about everything is just as important as what they do about them. Uh, I, now, making an entire specialization can be just great, but I am always a fan of keeping it simple and borrowing from other age games, as they all have excellent overlap and some clever tricks to teach us. Now, uh, the ones I'm talking about in Blue Rose are a pair of spells. They call them Arcana. Uh, the first one is called Heart Shaping. This is a sorceress Arcana, which means it is uh, kind of ghoulish and yes. devilish and evil. This arcana imposes emotions on living creatures, causing a target to feel love or hatred for something and then acting on the emotion as if it were their own. It's fairly loose and up to individual players and GMs to decide exactly what can be done with it, but it sounds like it's just what you need. It sounds like it's what you're looking for. Mm-hmm. Can, uh, I think the examples they gave were like, uh, fill a target with incredible hatred for somebody and then tell them to, you're going to take that from them? Go get them. Or they could be... Uh, on board, or they could be, you know, told that I, let's see, that you love me, and they would act on that. That's creepy stuff, but... Uh, yeah, that's terrifying and awful. Yes. That was what, that definitely what makes it a very sorceress thing to do in Blue Rose. And Sorcery in Blue Rose, by the way, is considered to be a not good thing. A bad thing. It so, is as e- opposed to regular magic. It is evil. Don't do that. Uh, and the second spell from Blue Rose is to just simply put, Summon Spirit. You spend one minute to summon a spirit. The target number varies based on how much health the spirit has. Uh, specifically, it's 11 plus the spirit's health divided by 10 rounded down. And it remains for a number of rounds equal to your level. The spirit immediately makes a willpower self-discipline test against the target number you just rolled to summon it. And if it fails, it has, it has to follow your orders. If it succeeds, you do not control it, but you can still converse with it to convince it to do what you would desire of it. Uh, that means that if we wanted to put this spell in Dragon Age, it would be a target number 16 spell to to summon a desire or a rage demon, target number 17 to summon a sloth demon, and target number 19 to summon a pride demon. Uh, as written, the spell requires a full minute to cast, but stopping the mage from summoning demonic aid could be an exciting way to start an encounter. Or especially if you've got more than one mage trying to summon demons, uh, and a couple of warriors standing in their way. Uh, now, what I thought is that both of these could be made into blood magic spells, because they oh, yeah, feel easily. disgustingly blood magic. 
uh, and it's you know, the kind of magic that is required to affect people's minds so thoroughly and to pull demons straight out of the fade would pretty much require you to use blood magic in Dragon Age. Yeah. Uh, these would only, of course, be possible to cast while in blood magic mode, as other blood magic spells do. Uh, they would need mana costs, as Blue Rose does not use mana or MP or anything like that. You just make tests, and then if it's a nasty spell, you make a fatigue test. Uh, and if you fail the fatigue test, the magic makes you tired. And if you keep doing it and failing it, then you could die. Not not, not the cool. desired outcome. Not the desired outcome. Uh, Dragon Age, we just use lots of mana and worry about magical mishaps. Um, my suggestions would be 12 mana for heart shaping and a varying cost based on how big of a summoning you are performing. Um, maybe, and they might, might seem a little steep, and of course you can adjust them if you see fit, but you are, but it is a very rare ability in Dragon Age that lets you bring an entire other combatant into the fight. So, uh, 18 mana point, mana for Rage and Desire Demons, 22 mana for Sloth Demons, and 25 for Pride Demons. And, you know, let's see, that uh, we're not making new specializations around them, but... They both feel very blood magic, so I thought that they could just easily be made blood magic spells. And blood mages are really awesome specialization. Well, not awesome. It's I mean, a very, it's a powerful specialization. Probably not, a better adjective. Yes, yes. It's not. It's not a good thing. It's not a great. But that's why it's great for villains. Don't do blood magic, kids. Don't do blood magic, kids. It's not cool. So I hope that answers your question, Emilio. I hope it gives you some things to work with and. Uh, I hope it doesn't uh, too much inconvenience you from ha for having to go buy Blue Rose, although I totally recommend it because it's really cool. It is really cool, yeah. and the art is gorgeous. Uh-huh. And it's got a lot of really cool things that you can even use for Dragon Age if you can find the right way to spin them. Mm -hmm. uh, hence, Blood Magic. Here we are. So go pick it up if you haven't already. Mm-hmm. Uh, next questions come from our good friend Mark Natris through our Facebook page. We've still got a backlog of questions that Mark, is, uh, Mark sent that we're working through. Uh, so here's three more. Do you give retroactive health and mana for raised constitution or magic respectively? I haven't seen anything mentioned in Dragon Age by no other systems. Pathfinder, if I remember correctly, do this. By the rules, you do not. Yep, I remember being kind of sad about that. Mm-hmm. And I remember Jill being extremely sad about yeah, that. She started with a constitution of like zero. zero. Yeah, she started with she zero. She started with a con of zero. So she had a couple levels where I think she only got one health. I think level 11, she actually didn't get any health. Oh, no, she, was... she did get one because she managed to make her con a one <laughs> yeah. by that point. She had to. Or she wasn't going to get any more health. She, yeah, and boy, did she need it. Boy, did she need it. So um, yeah, no, so, I'm pretty sure it does not do any retroactive health and mana. That said, if you wanted your characters to be a little bit more survivable, sure, I can. I don't think it would be game breaking to mm -hmm. allow such a thing. I know a lot of folks complain about age having HP bloat, especially later in the oh, game. Oh, that is true. So it would probably be for the best that you don't do it with health, maybe with mana. Yeah, I haven't seen that one. Man like I. That had one. a lot of mana, and I was mm. still very capable of running out. Yes. So, you probably, they, by the book, they don't increase retroactively. In your game, if you're up for that, then absolutely you can go ahead and do it. Uh, maybe just, like, add one extra health or one extra mana for every level that you would have gotten it, would yeah. have benefited from it. Just be aware but, that you may have to start playing Rocket Tag a little bit as far as hit point values are concerned. Yes. It's true. It may it may get away from you, so it 
probably for the best that you keep it the way it is, but if it works better for your game, then you should go for it. If you've got somebody who didn't realize that a zero con meant they weren't going to have any more right. points, then this Past might be a kind thing to yes. do. Uh, next question. How do you handle XP and level pacing for your games? I like six-ish month campaigns, so I'm thinking of giving two to eleven at a rate of one per session and levels twelve to twenty at a rate of one per every other session. Um, because you're doing a six month campaign, it's not it's 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 a long campaign. It's a it's a long running one. It really depends on how many sessions you're planning on having and what mm-hmm. amount. Like, if you're going weekly, then if you're if you're going six weekly, month, twenty weeks, then yeah, you could. If you're going weekly, that would probably add up to about mm-hmm. six months. Yeah, if you're going biweekly, you might even want to go faster. Uh, if, if you're you going bi-weekly, to, you could slow... Uh, bi-weekly, go faster. If you want to hit 20 in six months, then yeah, you'll probably want to go... You'll probably want to yeah. go faster than this. But weekly, that's about right, probably. Mm-hmm. I haven't done the math for it, but I'm right. going to hazard a guess. Uh, as for uh, now with my games, I actually counted out experience, except for, I believe, the last experience required for level to get to level 20. Yeah. I hand-waved that one because I wanted you guys to be level 20 for the final fight. Just be at the peak of your power. We definitely were. Mm-hmm. It was a good time. There were so many stun points flying around. It was really crazy. But yeah, I think that uh, as for... far as that goes, that could be mm-hmm. pretty reasonable. For our games, this was actually, I think... Dragon Age, I think, was the first one where I actually uh, worried about keeping track of experience. I think. We didn't do that for Star Wars, right? No, you pretty much I think just, it was... Uh, we may have some, but there was certainly... We reached a point when there were, like, 18 different characters mm-hmm. for your first 18-character game that mm-hmm. uh, we were like, you know what? You're just going to probably tell us when we level up. Yes. Much less bookkeeping. Uh, with Dragon Age, especially because the numbers are a lot smaller... Um, it's a little easier, I found it a little easier and more, and, uh, interesting to try going by experience. The, but the experience is awarded based on how well the PCs can complete encounters, and of course, how many encounters they complete. So if the PCs are absolutely whizzing by all the encounters and having no trouble and not spending any resources, they get less experience. And it kind of makes sense, because they're not learning anything, they're just, they're, they're making quick work of stuff. Um, and if they start having trouble with something, or they manage to barely scrape by, or they complete a campaign arc, or maybe they complete a, a character goal, then they get uh, more experience, or experience payouts. Which can also be a lot of fun, uh, I think. <laughs> Alright, we're having trouble with our animal companions. In case Bo- you haven't uh, heard. Boots and Nugmag are just fine. It's this BB over here. Yeah, in case you haven't heard little occasional peeps <laughs> occasional in the microphone. Peeps. Uh-huh. I'm trying to quietly manage this cat as she... Yep, there it is. Um, Apologies about that. I think from a player perspective, knowing that you're going to get a level every session is pretty exciting. Pretty exciting stuff. Yeah, I think that's nice. It sort of Um, keeps the energy flowing. If you're you're not... If you're planning on, like, going straight to level 20, um, then they may... And if you want to, like, cram it into six months... Uh, even if you're playing weekly, you'll probably have some folks feeling like they're not really getting a lot of time to get to know how to use their abilities just yet, if they're only getting to have one level for yeah. an entire for if you've one got, session. If you've got experienced players, though, it shouldn't be a problem. Mm-hmm. But if your players are fairly inexperienced, you're going to want to keep an eye on that and make sure that everybody feels mm-hmm. like they're getting time to adjust. Yes. So, 
that's ours for that one. Uh, next question from Mark was, what do you typically use to oppose intimidation? Courage, morale, or something else? Um, for opposed tests, I'm usually fairly flexible. And that's one of the great things about age is that there really is no, like, specific thing that you roll intimidation against. It would probably end up being more like, what does this person use to avoid being intimidated? Yeah. I could definitely see courage and morale. Self-discipline. Self-discipline could work. Maybe their own strength intimidation to not back down. Maybe even faith. Uh, maybe even faith. Uh, maybe if they wanted to try and, like, play it off as a joke or, like, resort to humor to deal with it, they might go to, like, communication performance or communication deception. Although that might require some role play on the part of the player to justify it. Yeah. But that could be fun. Although I think to oppose the intimidation factor just outright so that they don't actually get scared mm -hmm. that would be some sort of willpower focus yeah. but just that about any willpower focus is applicable here mm -hmm. that's the pretty right much character. what willpower is for indeed so hope that answers your question mark thank you for all the questions we've still got plenty of yours to get through and we will definitely be getting through them so uh next questions from come from m garrett through our email i don't know if uh m garrett Signed his emails with a real name, but that, that's what his uh, email went with. So, hope, Alrighty. I hope I, I, he, he, I believe uh, they know that we're answering the questions. So, here's okay. some more. Cool. Uh, M. Garrett asks I am running a campaign where the PCs are mostly elves in Talvashoth. Woo! Given that the game is played by our game, the game, capitalized, Capital is played by Orlesian ability, how would you justify a ballroom setting with elves and Kunari? You don't say. <laughs> well, we. We did that uh, with elves. I, th I think we had... Did we have a Kunari with us? Oh, uh, we think. did not have a Kunari at that time. It was just all elves. I'm but, pretty um, sure. Oh. By that point, you were so... You folks were yeah, so we did not have important people. Or at that point. We were, were, we were ambassadors for an elven nation at that point. Yes. So that's why we got in. Mm -hmm. One of you had won the Grand Tourney. One of you was an accomplished mage. One was starting to revive the, El the Emerald Knights. So they were all very important folks. It was very in vogue. To be inviting elves to parties. We made it Garf. in vogue because, you know. Mm -hmm. And you brought a bunker punch dress. I did bring a bunker punch dress. But uh, more to the point, the fact that we were elves was kind of overshadowed <laughs> by the fact that we were awesome. We might have to explain what bunker punch uh, that's, means. That's, uh, sorry, that's relevant <laughs> to uh, the, the show The Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Yes. So, uh, Good show. Check it out. Watch that sometime. But uh, suffice it to say, we came dressed to impress, and mm -hmm. we came with a whole bunch of uh, sort of achievements behind our names, and that's mm -hmm. why we were able to get in. Yes. So if you've got a ballroom setting with elves and Kunari, uh, the Kunari is always going to be a challenge. You could always have them be sort of, if, you, if your characters have enough sort of renown to be invited to this thing, their Kunari character could be a... I mean, forgive the saying, but a conversation piece. Yeah. Because, of course, they would do that. Of course they would. And uh, if the elves do not have that kind of awareness or uh, notoriety, then they can very well be um, kitchen staff uh -huh. or servants. Could or easily stow away. And, I mean, like, they, they, don't, they don't know what all the servants look like. Let's be real. Yeah. So there are a couple of ways you can make that happen. Yes. Um, you could also have them, like, uh, seek uh, patronage. Maybe uh, they just can secure an invite from somebody. Yes. And uh, so I hope that answers your question. 
Uh, next is your question was from the for the mass battle difficulty test, uh, which is the target number that both uh, armies roll against each other, adding things like their uh, their the bonus for having like troop numbers and uh, having good conditions and uh, how um, specialized troops. The target number is based on the enemy's troop type. The example in the core. I think rule... the question was: oh, yeah. Is it based? Is on the, the target number based type? on the enemy's troop type? The example in the core rule book has the same target number for man at arms and genlocks. Herlocks. Uh, uh, I think I, I oh. looked at it actually, and it, it's actually genlocks, but herlocks oh. are one step up. So okay, plus Pretty two. Close. You're right. I would like to hear your opinion. And I yes, uh, it is. Ba- uh, the target number is meant to be based on what is the baseline kind of troops that are part of this mass battle army. So, like, uh, a group of sellsword, like, like, even if you've got, like, a couple of high-level PCs as part of an army, if most of the army is a bunch of sellswords, and just, like, folks who are, maybe were conscripted uh, from local towns and such, then the target number is not going to be very high, because most of the people that are doing the fighting are not as proficient as these player characters. They might add, like, commander bonuses, and maybe even special, uh, specialized troop unit bonuses, but... That target number is based on the on what is normal for this army. So if you've got an army of Grey Wardens, they're going to be a higher target number than an army of, like, regular people. So it is based on the type of troop. Absolutely. Like, uh, <laughs> like I think it went all the way up to, like, an army of dragons is target number 21. <laughs> Everyone go home. Go home. Run. We're done. <laughs> Game over, man. We're, we're done. That's that's enough. That's when the GMs just had enough of everyone That's when the GMs nonsense. just had enough. Uh, so I hope that answers these questions. Uh, thank you, M. Garrett. Thank you, Emilio. Thank you, uh, Mark. Thank you... Oh, goodness. Uh, and say, Toby. Uh, Toby Lemurien. Lemurien. I'm seeing something weird, though, in our codex. That's true. We're missing a Toby. Yeah. There's another Toby we're missing. Where's our Parsible question? I feel like it's I probably not really best practice to guilt trip uh, listeners into sending in <laughs> questions. But you've been doing this for so long you know that what? I feel like all bets are off and we get to guilt trip you now. I might just be... Uh, you see, he oh, actually did, posted on here. I might just be bad. and I Did didn't, you just fail? You failed it. I failed. I am a bad person. You failed All right, here him. we go. Uh, let's see... Um, actually, did, uh, I don't think, I don't know if a question did get added. That's strange and sad. Yes, isn't it, though? I don't like it. Well, Parsifal, I suppose we'll just have to get you a question on the next episode. I uh, guess. <laughs> Fine. We'll, we'll miss you. Well, we're not, we're not hurt. We're not we're hurt. Not it's okay. Everything's great. It's fine. Uh, if you, listening out there, have a question about the Dragon Age RPG, whether it's mechanics, build suggestions, questions about lore, clarifications about little episodes, anything else, send a message to podcast at gmail.com, send it to us through our Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Google+, or SoundCloud accounts, or send a personal message to Cot the Protector or Healer Puff on the Green Running forums, or send a message to Cot or Lease on the D20 Radio forums, and That's us. more recently... Oh, that's, oh I I'm missed sorry. it! You'd set me up! I mean, it is technically us. It is still us. That said... Uh, now you can also contact us on our Patreon, of course. Which we have. Which we have. And it's it's pretty it's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. I think so. And there's uh, going to be a whole lot more coming to it in mm-hmm. the future. Yes. So. It's going to be a good time. 
anyway. assuming, assuming that we have the opportunity to add more to it. Yes. It's true. We still have full-time jobs, and we're venture officers for Pathfinder Society, and we've and got I'm friends and I'm about to start grad school. You're about to start grad school. So we're we're already busy folks. So this uh, Patreon is going to help us make this a bit more worth a bit more worth taking lots of time to do this podcast. Well, making it more possible. More possible. Because it's already worth it. Uh, yeah, the possibility right, right. issue is really our primary issue at the time at this right. moment. It's it's kind of rough because we're we poor. We we are poor. <laughs> we do what we can. <laughs> we do what we can. But uh, thank you all as always for your support. And if you are able to and choose to support the podcast financially, then we have plenty of things we want to do for you. Mm-hmm. We'll talk about that a little later. We'll plug it at the end of the show, just like any good self-respecting podcast would. Of course. Um, we're going to skip the Disney verses this time, uh, although I've got something that I might grab from somebody at a later time. Just It came out of the blue like the day of recording, so I couldn't oh. get permission to use it quickly enough. Um, so maybe next time. Next time. But uh, for now, we're going to start casting the real magic. <laughs> I love the real magic. The real magic is the best magic. Especially if your name is Elfstar. This is the main topic for today. Is it fate or chance? Wow, you're just coming in there with the references to... Mm-hmm. Uh, D- was it Dark Dungeons? I th- Something like that. Some, some, Man. Yeah, that's something some classic, really lame like that. Some classic propaganda. Some classic anti-D&D propaganda. Yeah, I thought I thought her name was... Yeah, Elfstar. Elfstar was her character's Debbie. name. I declare your character dead. Oh my no, gosh. No, I'm not dead. So spell expertise. <laughs> it's, it's, you can turn to pages 108 and 109 of the core rulebook and you can see the effects of spell expertise laid out before you in all their glory. So um, to start with, what is the spell expertise talent? This is a very unusual talent that is only accessible to mages, as you likely guessed. Not a lot of other classes can really do magic because they're not mages. Uh, But this talent is all about a mage researching magic so thoroughly that they begin to unlock some of the more frightening potentials of their spellcasting. Adding, uh, let's see, it is an understandably rare talent and has some exciting effects that make it a powerful choice for any mage. It has a a somewhat steep requirement of a magic of four and at least one magic-based focus and at least a novice rating in one magic school talent. Means you're going to have to wait till at earliest level five to get this. Really? Because you need a magic-based talent first, and you don't get one at level one. But you could get it at three. You get the magic-based talent at level three because you have to have the novice. So you could take this at talent. You could take this as three. early as five. Because you don't get a uh, you don't get like a magic school-based talent at level one. No, but you don't. You get one at like you could pick one at level three if you wanted to, couldn't you? Yes. So couldn't you take this at three? Because you don't get two talents at three. Oh, that's a good point. I forgot about that. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, geez. So, uh, more on getting it later, we're going to talk more about what does it do. Uh, at its core, this talent opens up a wealth of stunts for mages to use when casting spells. These are called advanced spell stunts, and it is understood that these kinds of tricks and flourishes are special and surprising, not only to common people, but to other mages. Yeah, these are not very popular things to do, but mm-hmm. they sure are fancy. 
Uh, there are five tables of stunts that this talent opens up. Some of them are very short. One of them only has three extra stunts, and one of them has, like, 11 of them. There's some big ones. Mm-hmm. So, we're going to break down the talent degrees. Tell you what you get. <coughs> going to cough that stuff, too. Excuse me. Uh, the novice degree allows you to use the advanced spell stunts that correspond to the school of magic that you have a talent for. Mm-hmm. So, uh, for example, if you took Primal Magic Novice and Spirit Magic Novice, this degree of spell expertise allows you to use the advanced spell stunts of one of these two schools, but not both. Mm -hmm. Likewise, if you only have one talent, then it's pretty much chosen for you. Yes. So, you get access to a table of stunts that you can roll, and see that you can roll when casting those spells. Also, note, just in case this isn't clear, that means that you have to pick it when you when you gain this talent. Mm -hmm. You pick which type of magic, if you have multiple choices, and you are stuck with it for good. Mm -hmm. Stuck with that one for at least a little while. Until you hit so, Journeyman. You're right. Uh, journeyman degree unlocks the core advanced spell stunts, which do not require you to be casting specific spells, and this is going to be your bread and butter. This is some excellent stuff this, right here. This is fun. There's things like lethal spell, penetrating spell, disrupt magic, split spell, lasting spell. Just they're all they're all pretty great. Um, a couple of them are really good for like uh, I've got like two stun points to spend left. Um, I'll just have an extra two armor rating for this round. That sounds fun. That seems fair. Um, he will probably be using a lot of those stunts from now on. And, and of course, it's in addition to your normal spell stunts. So. And you're all those stunts. You've got a lot of options all of a sudden. Um, fantasy Age players may recognize a few of these stunts in this table, and they would be correct. Several stunts from this table made it to the core of Fantasy Age, and with good reason, because they're awesome. Uh, the Master Degree, finally, allows you to use the advanced spell stunts for any school in which you have a focus. Not the talent, but just the focus. Which means, especially by the time you hit the higher levels, mm -hmm. pretty much... All the magic. Yeah. Unless, you know, except for hopefully blood magic. Like Blood magic does not actually have a table in here. Well, there you go. I mean, they've got plenty of things they to play with themselves. It. They, they really, really don't. They really don't need it. Yes, so we're going to give everybody else a little something to play with. Um, if you And see, now, the, of course, this makes unlocking the spell stunts a little easier than taking entire talents to unlock the remaining stunts, because those talent slots can be precious. Uh, now, this talent is, at, at its core, gives you options. It gives you a lot of options in the moment-to-moment -moment casting of your spells. Uh, if you manage to take focuses in every school and get the master degree of this talent, you have 27 extra talents to choose from when you cast spells. That's a lot! Mm-hmm. Uh, and, of course, as a reminder, as this talent is written, you can only use the school-based advanced spell stunts when casting spells from the corresponding school. You cannot use advanced primal spell stunts to augment an entropy spell, or and you can't use creation stunts just when casting a spirit spell, etc. Yeah, can't uh, mix and match. The school of the stunts have to match, uh, and the core, but the core advanced spell stunts can be used when casting any spell, and they are you go for it. Lethal, yep. lethal spell is amazing. Penetrating spell is amazing. Um, you may have noticed that there is no. We already talked about that. Yeah, we talked uh, about blood magic. Not we jumped ahead. We're jumping around on these notes uh, now. Uh, now, there's a very important question we have to ask uh, when we're going, looking at this whole this whole talent is, should I use it? Some of you may be thinking right now, man, this is a cool talent. I got to take this right now. Uh, but we're, we're going to ask you to hold on and think about it for yeah, just a second. Just for a minute. Uh, GMs and players should talk about whether they want this talent to exist in their campaign and for a couple of good reasons. Um, 
the sidebar on on page 109 states it states it for out for all of us in case you happen to forget but there are a few things that this talent can cause that while they're not necessarily game breaking they can just be unpleasant uh, because if a mage really goes for it and they get 27 extra talents to use or stunts to use when they're casting spells rogues and warriors are probably going to feel a little left out yeah because they don't really have a lot of at least in dragon age right now there's really no way for them to get extra stunts uh, besides asking the GM, may we use the exploration roleplay stunts? That's that they've that that's what they've got, and they've all that's what they got to work with pretty much for good. Some of their class powers adjust how their how their stunts work, but they they don't really get uh, a larger repertoire like mages do. So people who are playing the warriors and the rogues may feel like they're not getting as much uh, many options, or they may mm-hmm. look at the mage uh, the mage players' eyes lighting up when they roll six stunt points and like pouring through this huge list. And I mean, they've still got plenty of options, but the mage has like fifty something stunts to pick from. Well, and that's an interesting segue into the other problem that can come up mm-hmm. is that when they see those mage players eyes light up they may be sitting there thinking here we go 10 minutes of this person trying to pick the right spell stunt because they have eighty-seven thousand of them mm-hmm. it is a fair thing to worry about because that can just make things yeah. go real slow this is a lot of options this is a very large number of options and it could make it very daunting for a mage player to feel like they are able to make a solid choice about which one to use within a reasonable amount of time. Mm-hmm. That said, I mean... Mm-hmm. That said... There are ways that this can work. Uh-huh. There's a lot of ways we can push this talent in. I'm going to scoot that down. So, um, this talent represents very special skill with magic, and it is oftentimes not an intuitive kind of thing. Uh, characters likely can't figure out these tricks like these on their own uh, unless they are of exemplary skills or possess unique talents or they have someone to teach them or they found a book that's got it in there um, so this is a talent that uh, that is a talent kind of like a specialization as it may be starting to sound needs to be earned yes because this is a this is a fairly compared to a lot of other talents this one is pretty a pretty powerful choice this is an extremely powerful talent mm-hmm it's it offers a lot of options that no other talents can even come close to matching. So um, this is a talent that should definitely not just simply be handed out unless the players are like starting to get into really high levels and are really exemplary mages already and can maybe like doing some of their own research. Maybe like level fifteen or so. I mean, they may I, start unless think- you have somebody who's like special pro tag baby, you could probably <laughs> give it to them. But heads I up. mean, the fair yes, it happens. Um, but because this talent opens so many options on a turn-by-turn basis, it should be treated as a specialization. It should be something that you kind of, like, unlock. Yes. Uh, and so, which means that you can go through the normal channels that you use when unlocking a specialization, which can be finding someone to train you, which can involve going on an adventure, or it can involve maybe finding a book that's got the knowledge in it. Um, also means you can add some cool adventure hooks just to mm-hmm. get them into this specialization, which... Yeah. Could be pretty cool. Getting that talent is a pretty juicy reward at the end of an adventure. So definitely something that to make the mage characters interested. Um, now, we don't, of course, uh, have to give all of the options to the mages. Uh, another way you can try and integrate this is by giving the rogues and warriors some extra tool, to, uh, toys to play with as well. Um, you may recall a long time ago, way, way back machine, I think this ep- I think the episode we mentioned it had single digits. 
Oh, man. Um, we talked about uh, a set of custom stunts that were written by an old Green Ronin's Forums board member named Saisei. He wrote a collection of homebrew, ta- uh, homebrew stunts that worked for specific fighting styles and even some that worked for, uh, that had to actually work by having two people work together. Um, and I think he had one for dual weapon style, weapon and shield, uh, unarmed style, archery style. He took a lot of the talents that were activated abilities from the uh, Dragon Age Origins video game and just turned them into, ta- and turned them into stunts. So... It may be worth considering allowing players uh, who are going mage, who are going rogue and warrior, to unlock some of those stunts along with taking ranks in the corresponding talents. Kind of like how spell expertise lets you unlock it incrementally instead of just throwing them all out there at once. Um, maybe when they take the novice degree of a fighting style talent, then you can look at that table and say you can use any of the stunts that cost up to two stunt points. Uh, when they take the journeyman, they can use them costing up to four. When they become master, they can use all of them. That seems fair. Mm-hmm. It's uh, little things, but it, it I think it will definitely help the rogues and warriors feel like they're in on the fun as much as everybody else. So, what do you think? Are we experts on this topic? I really hope so. I think I we spelled it out? Oh, man. Expertly? Uh, Spelled it out expertly. Uh-huh, with great expertise. Yes. Thank you. You're welcome. Kinda, you took it from me. I, I was going to use it. It was going to be great. I did. Happy anniversary. Happy anniversary. Oh, it's our anniversary, by the way. Tomorrow. <laughs> Tomorrow. Well, when you... It, honestly, when this episode comes out, it should be the same day. Yeah. Three years of marriage. Yay. It's working out pretty well for us. Yeah. We're having a good old time. Um, right. Did we want to talk a little bit more about the Patreon? Uh, why don't we go ahead and rattle off this thing I wrote? Uh, oh, yeah, you have a thing. I wrote a thing. If you like what we do, please consider supporting us on our new Patreon, and you can not only get double votes on later episodes, but you can get the show a week early. If we get enough support, we can meet you meet you personally with a Discord channel, start inviting people onto the show with us, probably a little later, and with some screening for folks coming on the show. Become, maybe we may even become a weekly show, or we could even start a new show for other age games. Uh, and uh, anything you can contribute is appreciated. You can find a link to our Patreon on our blog and in the post for this show. And uh, there could be other little tidbits and goodies available. Like, uh, could be. We're both artists, and... Mm-hmm. I crochet tiny dragons sometimes, so... <laughs> I think there, I think there's an example on the Patreon. Yeah. Yeah, Moonbeam. Moonbeam showing her best face. Mm-hmm. So, give you it some know, thought. Give it some thought. Maybe we'll adjust the Patreon later on if we feel like crocheting some dragons. Yeah. Woo! And we're playing Dragon Age, and, you know, we've got all these animal companions. Why shouldn't you? Yeah. Also, you know, character art's not out of the question either, so... It's true. Not Talk about question. that later. Yeah. But anyway, thank you all so much for listening to the show. Uh, this has been an, uh, it's been an excellent two years so far. Yep. Uh, we've met a lot of really cool folks. We've met, we've gotten some uh, really cool contributions. We've made a really killer blog with lots of Dragon Age goodies on it. 
Uh, we've joined the D20 Radio Network, which I was never expecting. Yeah, super exciting to get yeah. to be a part of that. Yeah, totally. Those folks, I mean, when I was in college, those folks were my heroes. When I was oh, when yeah. we were playing uh, old Saga Edition and we listened to the Order 66 podcast every now and uh, every episode that <laughs> came out. <laughs> what do you mean every now and then? Like, you mean every time yes. an episode came I mean, out? Like yeah. spending like a month catching up on the log. And they, I think I came and in. We got to go were... out and play. Uh, we got to actually play Star Wars with them one time. Yeah, that was, that was exceptional. really cool. Those guys are great. Mm-hmm. Lots of fun to hang out with. And of course, all the other folks, uh, there's a lot of really cool talent swirling around, uh, and we're just really, really happy to be a part of it. Mm-hmm. We're looking forward to providing more and improving, ever-improving content, so mm-hmm. catch so, you guys on the flip side, I guess. Hope you folks manage to stick with us. Uh, this is Ren wishing lots of sixes on that dragon die. And this is Jessica wishing you good heels and happy feels. Thank you so much for listening to the Wonders of Thetis podcast. We'll catch you next time. Bye-bye. Bye, guys. Bye.